tomorrow in a world gone mad. The only law will be a renegade squad of suicidal cops. He's my prisoner, and he's not walking out that door. And the open road will be controlled by gangs of glory roaders. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lucky Dog Podcast. This is your host, Elias Rush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRushMedia.com, photo, video, digital media production. Today we're discussing Mad Max, the original 1979 Australian dystopian action thriller film directed by George Miller. Produced by uh, Byron Kennedy, Mel Gibson. Many people have heard of this uh, character uh, as of today. He's been quite an interesting character to watch uh, over the course of, I guess, since the 70s. I, I want to say Mad Max was probably his first big breakout role that I can think of. Um, I'll check real quick. But uh, overall, the reasoning that I wanted to... Um, that I wanted to... Okay, so yeah, film work. Here we go. Da, da, da. He's been in a ton of things. Okay, so yes. The first real big film franchise that uh, Mel Gibson has starred in was, I think, Mad Max. He was also in uh, I Never Promised You a Rose Garden and um, the Joan Greensburg novel. Uh, that's his film debut. Summer City was right after that. And then came Mad Max two years later. Um, he was also in a movie called Tim in the same year. I have not heard of that. I actually haven't heard of most of Mel Gibson's career um, as an actor until uh, Mad Max in 79. And then eventually, again, Mad Max seven, uh, 2 in 81. And uh, continuing on, Thunderdome was in 85. Uh, and then most people know uh, Mel Gibson's uh, acting career strictly from uh the lethal weapon uh franchise which i'm kind of in the dark about i'm actually uh never seen a full lethal weapon movie i've seen scenes and i've seen clips and i've seen it uh memed a whole bunch but i actually have not seen the 87 lethal weapon uh with uh gibson playing martin riggs so what what's the reason for checking out mad max one today um the reasoning I wanted to check out Mad Max 1, well, I had never seen uh, the original series. I had only seen Mad Max Fury Road, the one that was uh, released in 2015. Pretty much got all the accolades, all the awards, and everyone agrees that it's one of the most uh, mind-bending, mind-boggling, most uh, high-octane thrillers of an action in the last 10 years. And I gotta say, I was really interested to see what uh the origin is of this franchise so um we're not going to talk too much about the personal life of mel gibson i just wanted to kind of touch on where he was in his um career when he took on um mad max i believe everyone took a very small chunk of a check when um, they originally signed on to do this because it was uh created on such a low budget at the time three hundred and fifty thousand dollars to four hundred fifty thousand dollars is not very much at all um and directed by i believe it was george miller's 
first movie. Yeah, it was. This is his first movie, which is kind of impressive as a writer and a director. You can tell that it feels like kind of like uh, indie roots, and that they keep saying that we have this apocalyptic wasteland of a future, but there's not exactly a budget for that. Um, so they kind of have to be uh, extra creative with the, what they're doing, and. Their way of saying that we're in an apocalypse in the future is basically everyone's wearing BDSM um, gear, you know, very tight leather type shit. It's it's very 80s in that in, in that way. But I got to say, I like the, the steampunk aesthetic. I think aesthetic is going to be the number one word for this uh, podcast, mostly because Mad Max as a concept in this first movie feels way more hinging on the aesthetic of the world and the apocalyptic road warrior kind of feel. And it's not so much, uh, the story is kind of light. The story is kind of light. And I'm even going through the synopsis and, uh, everything on it, the plot, it, um, it is pretty, you know, pretty, uh, trim, you know, there's not, tons of things happening let's go a little bit more into detail on uh the details of mad max so you know we'll figure out why he's called mad max and all this mel gibson stars as mad max rock uh did i get that right i know this is like an australian name but i might have got that wrong rockatansky a police officer turned vigilante in a near future australia in the midst of a societal collapse. Um, Joan Samuel, Hugh Keybine, sorry, Bryn, um, Steve Bisley, Tim Burns, and Roger Ward also star. Um, James McCausland and Miller wrote the screenplay for a story by Miller and Kennedy. Principal photography for Mad Max took uh, place around um, in and around uh, Mel- Melbourne for about six weeks. The uh, film initially received a Pulitzer uh, reception, uh, sorry, a Pulitzer, a polarized reception upon its release in April 1979. I will say that this movie is a little bit slower than I had anticipated. I know that the pacing of movies has uh, dramatically increased. Um, with, with regards to like story and character development, normally within 15 to 20 minutes, you kind of understand the motivations of everybody, but it's a lot more laissez-faire with Mad Max. I feel like the, the setup for this film is almost rooted in the first, um, what do you say? Um, slightly over an hour. I mean, what I'm saying is he's not really Mad Max until about, you know, give or take an hour in. Get, uh, might, might even, he may not even be considerably Mad Max until the end of this movie. So it's more or less like an origin story in that when you kind of place it in that manner. Um, so yeah, it received polarized reception upon its release in April 79, although it won uh, two AACTA awards. I assume that's like an Australian film award. Um, let me see. Australian Academy of Cinema and TV of Arts. Yep. Um, it was filmed on a budget of $400,000. It 
earned more than $100 million worldwide in gross revenue and has held the Guinness Book of World Records for uh, the most profitable film. I know that that's got to be very close to like what Halloween had done at the same time. I don't think Halloween made $100 million, though. Um, that's quite a lot. Um, the success of Mad Max has been credited um, for whom for further opening up the uh, global market to Australian new wave films. And it's always great when we have um, a, a kind of like this door or domino effect of brand new movies that are uh, accessible to people. So let me give you a quick, quick example of like a squid game on Netflix is um, really popular right now at the time that we're recording this um, middle of October 21. Um, but the popularity of Squid Game probably would not have happened with the except with um if the class disparity disparaging um wasn't shown as much in Parasite. So Parasite kind of blew down the door for Korean cinema to become way more mainstream in not just the United States but worldwide. And I think Parasite being successful in that manner allowed um uh, properties such as like Squid Game to become popular, and it mostly has to do with learning that you know, you know, just because they're speaking maybe a different language. I know Australia speaks English, but they they have the accent and everything. But um, if they did speak a different language, then um, it probably is a little bit more difficult to be uh, for people to be more accessible to this film. But when they have the relatable story of this class disparaging, like Parasite and Squid Game did. I think that that really benefits to everyone's advantage. So when they have this like apocalyptic road warrior future, I felt like people could kind of relate to it in a way of like, hey, yeah, I can kind of I can kind of see how world and uh, a way in a world where, you know, gas might be really difficult to get and uh, uh, some sort of apocalyptic scenario in a way. I felt like it really didn't matter where you were in the world that you could kind of uh put yourself in that in their their shoes for at least the hour and a half that you're watching it or so so yeah this movie is only 93 minutes um not too familiar with uh david egby who is the cinematographer but uh i like the music same guys known for um brian may same guy that's known for mad max mad max 2 i don't think he did thunderdome um but he also was in Gallipoli and uh sorry he he performed this for uh scores for Freddy Dead Freddy's Dead the Final Nightmare in Dr Giggles as well and as well as one episode from Tales from the Crypt so you know he's he's got some um interesting shows on sorry uh franchises under his belt um unfortunately he composer died uh 97 at the age of 62 so he didn't uh complete anything after that um and so yeah let's uh let me give you a quick rundown of my um interpretation of this movie i definitely think that it's uh it's worth a watch you have some of the most interesting villain characters or antagonists in this um franchise are in this movie uh toe cutter i'll talk a little bit more about them and um uh 
spoilers and stuff like that. But um, what I think it's Hugh Key Brain, um, who plays Toe Cutter, actually comes back um, in Fury Road. And I'm not gonna. I don't want to like kind of go back and forth saying you know what what happens at the end of this. But um, yeah, I gotta say that. It's an interesting introduction. It is clearly done on a small budget, low small budget. They uh, have uh, George Miller is using every single shot he can. Er, sorry, he's using every single dollar he can to uh, to show the most he can in all of his shots. I really do believe that he was uh, trying to push the boundaries for um, this type of cinema. I had read that he was actually um, not even a director. I think he was, was he a doctor or something like that? There was a reason that he wanted to create uh, Mad Max. And I think it was like a kind of, I think he was seeing a bunch of wrecks coming in from uh, people in bad car wrecks. And he wanted to make a movie that was kind of like, you know, wear your seatbelt kind of thing. Um, I don't have that story in front of me, but... um, let me see if it, it was it. I might be getting him confused with somebody else. Let me check real quick. Yeah, he is a physician, uh, Australian film director, producer, screenwriter and physician. So I think he was a physician before he was a director. And that was why he wanted to create um, Mad Max. So, um, yeah, George Miller has uh, a very interesting career in in his own right. At seventy, what is he? Seventy six right now. Um, yeah, he's he's created some of the most interesting um, pieces of cinema since Mad Max. I mean, he uh, I believe he directed all three of the movies. Um, yeah, Thunderdome, Road Warrior, all directed by um, George Miller, and um, and then Fury. Yeah, obviously Fury Road. Um, but beyond Thunderdome, that was when things started to kind of go off a little bit of off the rails a little bit, kind of haywire way more into the, uh, the wacky territory in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, but yeah, so what I had read that he wanted, he made Mad Max as like a, as a, a warning to, you know, drive safe. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so he was, uh, yeah born in queensland to greek immigrant parents and immigrated to australia for fraternal twins had four sons fraternal twins george and john oh so he has a twin um all right, so let's hop into the uh, the spoiler section. Let me see. Sorry, I was trying to find the uh, the story where it, it, he decided to make uh, Mad Max. I don't see anything that was. Yeah, I don't see it. Anyways, so let's hop into the plot of Mad Max. And like I said, it is slightly slower of a watch than I was expecting. It's heavily based on aesthetic. And um, it's a little bit goofy here and there, but it it kind of is tonally bouncing between 
uh, a drama and uh, a, a low-key simmering thriller. But you just don't know exactly what's going to happen at the end, sort of. And they don't exactly have the budget to show, um, you know, the most brutal of things happening. So just to you know, kind of give you a, a that that feeling of when people are like running into each other, like from like cars or from like motorcycles or from any any collisions or anything like that. A lot of the action is shot well until there's some sort of like explosion or so, until there's like a collision of some sort because they probably didn't have the money to show it. And uh, that's when uh, the editing kind of is for good and for worse. It's like, holy shit, that was that was intense when they get in a wreck. But then you're like, did who died? It's like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> so it's a double edged sword, but they uh, they they stretch their dollar. Let's hop into the plot for Mad Max. And again, you can see, have this review in full and early on patreon.com slash podcast. Also check out luckitoutpodcast.com. Here's the plot. Spoilers ahead. In a near future dystopian Australia, berserk motorcycle gang member Crawford Knight Rider Montezano I think I said that right kills a rookie officer of the main force patrol the MFP and I'm pretty sure we don't get to see this kill we don't see him actually do this so we just see these like bandits like like losing their shit like going as fast as possible as they can on the highway and stuff like that so they don't exactly know what's coming after them except for the fact that they you know they're just going ape nuts and he is just going he's going crazy he's like going on like this like monologue he's like you don't know the night rider the rider the rides and that <laughs> it was like all right and so and is who is he saying this to is he saying this on like a uh on uh, some sort of speaker or something like that. I, I, I kind of blurred, honestly. Anyways, um, so yeah, he they kill uh, a rookie police officer on the MFP, Australia's Highway Patrol Unit, and escapes with his girlfriend in a pursuit special. So yeah, they are in a uh, they are in um, like these V8s looking fast and furious with the damn. Uh, car thing on the top, uh, you know, the motor coming out of the engine and shit like that. So they're driving one of these things, like, <laughs> going real fast. He's like, This is the night rider. You don't understand. I'm fucking fast. We're going, we're going go real fast. I'm going to go at night. I'm going to ride all day. You don't understand. <laughs> so, <laughs> the rider, the rides at night. <laughs> Knight Rider uh, manages to elude other MFP officers before the organization's top pursuit man, Max Rakatansky, disrupts his uh, concentration during a high-speed chase, resulting in his death in a fiery crash. And so when Mel Gibson's like, 
you know, responding to this and everything. He's like driving, he's like, fucking bro, 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 fucking fast, 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 fast and furious and shit like that. And then when they have like these, uh, when they run into something or explode into something or run into like a tree or something like that, it's like the camera will like show everything going super fast. The editing is just like the car, the outside, a wide shot, what they're going to hit, the other person, what they're going to hit, two people rising. It's like, oh, everything's going so fast. And then he's like, you know, the night rides are like, like uh, driving like crazy. And then the camera will like zoom in on the antagonist or whoever is about to run into something on their eyes. And they're really bold. It's like straight up like <laughs> Looney Tunes right before they run into something. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that that was um, that was pretty funny. But um, yeah, uh, at the MFP garage, Max is shown a supercharged V8 powered black pursuit special, which the cars are a part of the allure and the benefit of understanding Mad Max is saying that these are guys, these are real gear heads and stuff like that. It's almost like if the Fast and Furious was taking to taken to uh, uh, the desert or something like that in the future. Um, they really like their cars. They just don't have the parts and uh, they don't have tons of gasoline and stuff like that either. Honestly, the, I had a lot of Fast and Furious slash uh what was it um point break vibes and this as well i know it's kind of like uh there's a random but kind of in the same realm you know cars fast thieves crime <laughs> okay so um a conversation between max's superior fifi Mc, McAfee. And uh, Commissioner Labatucci reveals that uh, the pursuit special was authorized as a bribe to keep Max on the force. Like I said, they're big gearheads and they know what he lacks. Um, meanwhile, Knight Rider's motor... And, and because the character of Max doesn't want to be... Um, you know, he he really doesn't really want to be an officer anymore after the dangers of everything that's happened with his um his partner and everything like that. He's just like, I'm done. I I really don't really want to deal with all this, especially with the the fiery death of uh, the Night Rider. You know, he's like, I'm I really am kind of done with all this. So um, meanwhile, Night Rider's motorcycle gang led to led by Toe Cutter. And Bubba Zantini, uh, sorry, Bubba Zanidi, run uh, roughshod over a town, uh, vandalizing property, stealing fuel, and terrorizing the population. It feels like a western in the way that they just roll into the roll into the town, and the way that they just kind of run shit. Um, and they do it from this perspective of like this couple. This couple is kind of like the example of like what's going to happen to pretty much any couple that comes across a motorcycle gang in the apocalypse and the uh, in this war. There's so much random like uh, violence and obviously there's, there's rape that's happening and stuff like that. It is uh, it's kind of rough to not like experience but just the idea of it and stuff like that is just like really sickening but it, it is probably what would happen i mean i'm not going to deny it i mean it it happens now or not even in the apocalypse so it's like 
we're in the apocalypse and there's no rules. There's just going to be crazy, rampant, terrible things happening everywhere. So that's why we don't want to wish for this type of shit. So, um, yeah, when this young couple is like the example of what's going to happen to anybody. They trap a young couple in a car before destroying it and raping the couple. Max and fellow officer Jim Goose arrest Toe Cutter's young protege, Johnny, the boy at the scene. It's like, why did they leave Johnny at the scene? Sometimes the uh, the motivations of the motorcycle gang feel a little bit just like off. Like, what was the point of that again? Um, uh, I was also going to say something else, but uh, I kind of forgot. Um, so yeah, Max and fellow officer Jim... Goose arrest toe cutter. Oh, and something I figured out is that Max isn't even on the co uh, a cover. We're more or less following Jim Goose as the main character for the majority of of Mad Max. Which did they like decide last minute that he wasn't going to be Mad Max? Like I, it was weird that Jim Goose is kind of like uh, it, uh, is. Like, he's on the poster. Like it, it doesn't... I, I want to know what the original intent was. I guess that we're, like, following this Jim Goose guy to the point where he just becomes decimated and the point where we're, like, we need to have an Avenger. But it feels like Jim Goose should have been the original cop that died. I don't know. Um... So yeah, anyways, there's tons of crime, rape, and uh, uh, all that stuff happening through the through the city. Um, oh, and uh, this was what I was thinking. There's a kind of like this level of homophobia that is happening throughout uh, this movie. I don't know if it's... Uh, homophobia might be the, the wrong word to say, but it's this like layer of... Everyone is super fluid with the way that they're acting. I, I know that they're saying like the apocalypse, no rules, that type of thing. But almost every guy on the antagonist side is wearing like BDSM leather assless chaps all of a sudden, just all the time. And it almost feels... Uh, I don't know if I'm saying the right word. Homophobic sounds wrong, but... It just sounds and makes makes it look not, I don't know. It looks very binary in the way that it's uh, portraying people that are possibly gay. And I'm not really sure if it would be the same interpretation we would have today. And I understand that we had the Mad Max 2015 movie, which essentially did the same thing. I mean, they weren't all wearing assless chaps, but they were still in that kind of same realm of being questionably, you know, homophobic. Um, but yeah, here is no question at all. It's like every single one of these guys is, is bad news bears. Chocolate rain. Some stay dry and Jim Goose feels the pain. Chocolate rain. 
All right, so they arrest Toe Cutter's young protege, Johnny the Boy, at the scene. And Johnny the Boy is just like, all right, this guy is just like unnecessary. And at this point, I think that they've said that Mel Gibson has had some of the least amount of lines in almost any franchise at this point. But he's he is carrying it. I'm not going to lie that he's he's carrying what what he's given. I will say he he's a, he's a quiet type. He's a quiet type. Um, when neither of the rape victims uh, nor of the any of the townspeople show for Johnny's trial, the federal courts close the case, which is so random. It's like, what the fuck? So he's like, this is what happens. You can just let the guy go. Just this is a, the plot contrivances that do happen in this for the antagonists are kind of ridiculous. Um, but yeah, uh, so the federal courts closed the case with Johnny's attorneys releasing him into Bubba's custody uh, over Goose's furious objections. While Goose visits a nightclub in the city that night. See, this first hour of Mad Max is a Goose movie. It's really we're following Goose. Um, while Goose visits a nightclub in the city, Johnny sabotages his police bike. Um, it's so random how they sabotage the police bike. It's like he... He's able to go pretty damn far, able to go fast. He's able to break a little bit. But when he starts to hit around this one side, he's like going too fast, I guess. It's like, oh, the fucking brakes. Like fucking flies off the fucking handles and shit like that. I was just like, he had been driving for like what felt like 40 minutes. But I don't know. Maybe maybe they just set it to fuck up later in the later in the the ride that he had but anyways it fucks up johnny really bad and in the movie they don't show his face i think they did have a makeup job but they decided to take it out i don't remember exactly why but if i can find out i will um so johnny sabotages his police bike the next day after the motorbike then oh yeah the next day after the motorbike then locks up at a high speed and high sides and high sides. Um, it's when the person goes flying. A dazed but surprised uninjured goose. Oh, so, oh yeah. So, so no goose doesn't even get hurt from the motorcycle accident, which is so weird and random why they do this. A, a dazed but surprised uninjured goose. He's fine because the Johnny knew when he was going to uh, have his bike go flying. You know, when he sabotaged his bike, he knew that he was going to be fine after this. But an uninjured goose goes and borrows a, a, a ute, uh, which is like a, a coupe, a coupe uh, sedan that has a flatbed in the back, kind of, to haul his bike back to the MFP. However, Johnny ambushes Goose by throwing a brake drum through his windshield. After he's already driving this random thing just back on his bike, Johnny's like, yeah! And he like tosses this thing, this like Molotov cocktail looking thing directly. Or sorry, not it's not a Molotov cocktail. It's like a um, it's a brake drum, but it looks like a a big ass piece of something, you know, metal or whatever. And it goes through the wheel, and Johnny's like, Wah! and uh, <laughs> and it causes him to crash. It's like Johnny was completely unfazed from the motorcycle crash, but then this brake jump just completely fucks his day up. So it causes him to crash. Uh, <laughs> uh, at Toe Cutter's insistence, Johnny reluctantly throws a match into the wreck wreck of the uh, of the car that Johnny's now driving, or has flipped in. Uh, 
Igniting the petroleum and burning goose alive. It's like, ooh, this is intense. Um, and Johnny, there's like this, like, will they, won't they kind of thing of like, is Johnny going to be a bad guy or is he not going to be a bad guy? And he's kind of, kind of just like half-assing it the whole time. And it's like, all right, just do something. My God. Um, you know, either be a bad guy or don't. And he's already done. He's already tried to kill this guy like three times, but he won't throw this match at him. It's like, all right. <laughs> all right. So Johnny reluctantly throws a match in the, uh, at the wreck, igniting the petroleum burning goose alive. After seeing Goose's charred body in a, a hospital intensive care unit, Max becomes disillusioned with the MFP and informs Fifi that he will resign to maintain what sanity he has left. And this is when Fifi has this like weird looking thing. This is like his boss, I believe. And he has like this handkerchief tie that goes around his neck and into his I think it just goes around his neck and he has like no, like a tank top on or some short. And he's like, bah, humbug. You know, he's he is the most weird looking. I, I just can't like what is going on with this guy? It feels like the chief should be hanging with toe cutter in a way. I, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's just like what is going on with the chief here? Because the, the chief has something up his sleeve. It just looking all sorts of like fucking strange the whole time so anyways mad one wants to get out of this because of what happened to the first officer and now what has happened to goose um so yeah fifi convinces mag to take a vacation before he submits his uh final letter of resignation um so it's like a uh, vacation time fifi uh so no Max takes his wife, uh, Jesse, and their son, sorry, and their infant son. And I got to say, almost every scene that they've had together, it's not quite insufferable, but it just feels boring. Like, she's, like, looking at Max. She's like, oh, Max, what are you doing? He's, like, putting on this weird, like, ogre face head. And he's like, <laughs> It's like, what is going, what is the, the love the where where is the love in, in this right now because it, it's it's fucking weird oh my goodness so anyways uh max takes uh, his wife and his son his son referred to only as sprog um australian slang for a child okay on vacation in a panel van it's kind of like a national lampoon looking ass thing when they stop to fix the spare tire, um, Jesse takes uh, takes Sprague to buy ice cream, which, why would you ever leave them alone after everything that has happened? After you, after Max knows exactly how terrible these this place is, how, how bad the people are, you're going to leave your wife and your kid alone to go grab some ice cream. I'm sure that's a great idea. And stay at this sketchy-ass looking... Uh, garage place while you're getting a new tire. It's like, you don't need a new tire that damn bad. Or ice cream. It's about to be your ass. So, anyways. Um, they stop to go get them ass cream. Um, they encounter Toe Cutter and his gang. And they're like, boo-hoo-ha, a boo-hoo-ha, a boo-hoo-ha. They're like, they're like, they're what I would equivalent 
to in a scary movie of the birds that are like hanging in the random locations of a store outside a store or something when somebody's like walking out and they're like looking around and like what the fuck and like what the hell is going that's what toe cutters gang is like right now they're like hanging on the roof hanging around her they're like like making weird like animal noise like i don't know what kind of animal is that but <laughs> they're making just some weird fucking shit going on so anyways uh right now it should be called dumb max because he's just not thinking straight as in leaving his entire family to go who knows what happens you know with these uh, uh in a damn apocalypse I, I i guess people are it's so weird that they say they're an apocalypse but it's like some things are okay some things are not some things we don't have gas but we do have this we got ice cream i guess i don't know um it, it's it's very picker choose um, in the house, the house does not feel like, uh, it's really nice. I think it's like on the beach or something like that. Um, or at least the second house is all the houses. I feel like they go to do not feel like they're in the apocalypse, mostly because of the, uh, probably the money and color palette of the, the movie doesn't really portray, um, you know, being in an apocalypse, to be honest. Um, so anyways, they encounter they Toad Cutter and his gang who attempt to molest Jesse, but um, Jesse kicks Toad Cutter in the crotch and escapes in the van. I was like, Jesse is fucking done. I was like, I, I had a feeling I know something's going to make Mad Max mad, but I didn't know exactly how it was going to happen. So I was like, oh God, here we go. So I was extremely worried about Jesse and the baby. So Jesse kicks Toe Cutter in the crotch and escapes in the van. And they escape. They they tell uh, Max to hop in the car and fucking go. And for some reason, they still, still insist on being alone once they get to this next farm. Max like, hey, what? What's going on? What? You know, and he like cannot see like a bajillion guys on motorcycles coming after you. It's like. God, get your head out. <laughs> just like, get, open, open your eyes, Max. So, um, they encounter Toe Cutter in his game. Oh, yeah, I already said that. Uh, so they escape in the van. They flee to a remote farm owned by an elderly friend named, uh, May Swayze. Toe Cutter's gang follows them there and ambushes Jesse in the woods, which, why the this was really contrived right here when having Jesse go completely what felt like three miles away from the house. It's like, we know how terrible this world is. Once again, stop going places alone. And so, um, yeah, they ambush Jesse in the woods as she's like going to the beach and stuff like that. She's having her own field day and stuff like that. It's like, girl, you do not have the time to do this. And this is not the time nor the world to be doing all this nonsense. Um, vacations where you want to be, not here. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so with uh, May's help, Jesse and Sprague escape. But when they drive away, the van and the van inadvertently overheats. Jesse and Sprague attempt to escape on foot. And this is when, you know, Max is trying to take take out everybody on um back at the farm. And the uh this older lady 
is this older lady is like a badass. I'll give George Miller this. He put some badass women in the very beginning um, of the Mad Max franchise all the way through Fury Road. I was very surprised about how, um, you know, Miss May was holding her own. I was like, May's doing more than half this fucking squad's doing. Put May on the force. <laughs> so anyways, with May's help, Jesse and Sprague escape. But when they try to drive away, the van inadvertently overheats. And so it's like, they, they just start running. Like when the, the van overheats in the middle of the highway, it's like, all right, they, they got to fucking go. So they start booking it. Uh, Jesse and um, Mad Max, uh, Ma Max's son, start running in the middle of the road like, oh, I'm sure I can outrun a motorcycle. And she's like holding her, her child and she's like looking over her shoulder and then fucking toe cutter goes, boom. Toe cutter and like his entire gang run over Jesse and Sprague by the motorcycles. Max arrives at a horrifying sight. Sprague is instantly killed while a badly injured Jesse lies comatose in a home uh, in a hospital ICU, eventually succumbing to her injuries. Very, very dark for how moderate, not really, not light that this movie has been, but I don't think it shown to say that this movie was going to have the teeth like this um, to take away the main character's wife and son. That's really, really dark. I know that we didn't exactly see the impact. We saw a shoe fly. We saw a pacifier fall out. We got the idea, and I think that that's really all we needed. We did not need to see a big bloody scene of uh, Max arriving to see Jesse and his son just completely all over the damn uh, road. That is just horrifying. And because it's so ridiculous in that way, I guess that uh, you know all of it kind of coincides with each other. But I was like, I cannot believe that we spent the majority of the movie waiting for him to just kind of have his family completely iced. But, um, it certainly is, uh, it, it, it definitely is, uh, a ch -ch moment. All right, we got to go fuck up toe kill, uh, cutter. And, uh, so driven into a rage by the loss of his family, Max dons, dons his police uniform and takes back the black pursuit special from the MFP garage to pursue and eliminate the gang. He kills several gang members by ramming them off a bridge at high speeds, which I do feel like they could have got a little bit more, but you know, he, 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 he fucks them up. Um, he kills Bubba when ambushed by the surviving three gang members and forces toe cutter into the path of a speeding semi-truck, which where the hell did the semi-truck come from? I know that they have this entire thing of, you know, them getting ready to run into each other. But like, where the hell did this semi, the, this truck come from? So anyways, the truck comes literally out of nowhere. Fucking Harry Potter's its ass just Wingardium and Leviosa all up in your ass. And so it just popped up out of nowhere. Fucking kills that dude. His eyeballs go. And so, uh, yeah, it fucking fucks them all up. And uh, yeah, fucks Toe Cutter up as well into the path of the speeding semi-truck. Um, so bye, or for now. 
Max locates Johnny at a car wreck, stealing the boots of uh, its dead driver, ignoring Johnny's pleas. Max handcuffs Johnny's ankle to the wrecked vehicle and then sets a crude time delay fuse, utilizing a slow petroleum leak in Johnny's lighter before throwing him a hacksaw, offering him a choice of sawing through either the handcuffs or his ankle in order to escape with the given time limit. The vehicle explodes as Max drives away. And that, my friends, is Mad Max 1979. Let me know what you thought about Mad Max 1979, the review, the movie, the future movies, the second one. Did you think that the first one is going to live up to the second one? Do you think it lives up to Fury Road in 2015? I can already tell you now, it definitely does not live up to the 1985 Thunderdome. That is a wacky time. That is a big wacky time. Um, the first two Mad Maxes in, in just kind of short succession feel like of a piece. They feel like they can just be packaged up and you're ready to go. Beyond Thunderdome is when they decide to get greedy and say, we want way more money. Just for future reference, I wanted to see... Um, so yeah, they ended up giving them $4.5 million for the next movie. Um, and they ended up... I'm only seeing $36 million in return, but it's got to be more than that for worldwide. I don't have the worldwide number. Um, so yeah, $36 million for, Yeah, yeah. Um, and then what was it? Uh, Thunderdome in 85... Thunderdome in 85, they were given $10 million and another $36 million back. But like I said, it became real wacky at the end of that. And I honestly think the first two are the superior when it comes to the original three um, movies. So, yeah, let me see. Actually, here it is. George Miller was a medical doctor in Sydney working in a, a hospital emergency room where he saw many injuries and deaths, all of the types depicted in the film. He also witnessed many car accidents growing up in rural Queensland and lost at least three friends to accidents as a teenager. Um, so, yeah, I think that that was part of his reasoning for creating. Um, creating Mad Max, it says that um, he while in residency at Sydney Hospital, uh, Miller met amateur filmmaker uh, Byron Kennedy at a summer school film. School in 71, the two men produced a short film, Violence in the Cinema, Part 1, which was screened at a number of film, festival, film festivals and won several awards. Eight years later, they produced Mad Max, working with first-time screenwriter James McClausland, who appears in the film as the bearded man in the apron in front of the diner. It's pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, let me see if there's anything else. Um... Uh, let's uh, check out the old IMDb's of Mad Max. See if we got any time. Got a little bit of time. Wow. I don't know if this is 100% true, so, you know, take this as a grain of salt. Oh, it's getting dark out. Okay, so it says most of the extras uh, used in the film were paid in beer. Shit. <laughs> I know it's extremely, extremely cheap. 
Uh, so he raised money for Mad Max 79 working in, uh, working in the emergency room as a doctor. Um, anything else? Shot in 12 weeks on a $350,000 budget. 12 weeks is a fast turnaround. Um, uh, Toe Cutter changes his accent scene to scene to make his character seem more insane. I didn't realize that, actually. He is very, uh, comedic and theatrical in many of his shots. Um... Hmm. Mel Gibson got the part of Max while still a drama student. He was paid $10,000. Shit. Not shit. Uh, Jesse doesn't use real sign language. They're just some movements that Joan Samuel made up. <laughs> wow. I don't remember her using who I don't remember anyone using sign language in this, but there might have been. Mm. Yeah, and the iconography for this, like the interceptor car that Max drives, so cool, so cool. Um, and just having the sand aesthetic everywhere, it's uh, it's uh, it's quite a film, and I think it really paves it paves it paves a way for wanting an aesthetic of an apocalyptic. Uh, future that has all of these steampunk elements in it and I think that it's even it's even more relevant now seeing uh, you know the times we're living in the, the things that we would need to have an apocalypse obviously we're going to need these types of motors which makes it that much more realistic uh, yeah so Anyways, uh, thank you for listening, watching Look It All Podcast. Let me know how I can improve Look It All Podcast. Go to lookitallpodcast.com. Thumbs up, subscribe, do what you can do to support the podcast. Every single subscription and thumbs up and comment, good or bad, helps. It uh, definitely helps interacting. So um, thank you for listening, watching Look It All Podcast. Take it easy. want to make Max mad. Because when Max gets mad, he gets even. American International presents Mad Max, the maximum force of the future.